Hi, everyone. Welcome to Voices of Western, the Humans of Western podcast. This is where we delve into everyday stories of students, staff, and faculty on campus. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at humans underscore Western. You can also find us on TikTok, YouTube, and our Facebook page, Humans of Western. My name is Zainab. And I'm Kevin. Today's episode features Kashmira, who is a second year neuroscience master's student, as well as a TA here at Western. She did her Bachelor's of Science at Ontario Tech University. Now you can find her in the lab researching the relationship between propionic acid, PPA, a naturally occurring gut metabolite, and the onset of autism. We had a great time hearing about Kashmira's many experiences in TAing, graduate studies, and research. We hope you enjoy as well. So welcome to Voices of Western. We have uh, a great guest today, um, Kashmira. So she, I guess, maybe instead of me introducing you, um, you can maybe give us a little introduction uh, about yourself. Sure. So here, let me scooch on closer to the mic here. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Kashmira. So I'm a second year TA, second year master's student in neuroscience. And this is my... Well, I've actually only been at Western for grad school and during COVID, so that's super fun. But, you know, I still really like it and I love it here. Um, but I guess we can just hop on into the questions because there's everything else might overlap if I say more. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so um, I guess you talked about grad studies. What drove you into that? Okay, so um, during undergrad, I was kind of grappling between like, oh, do I want to be a dentist? Do I want to be a doctor? Or do I want to do research? I really didn't know. What I did know, though, is that I hated doing tests. And I was like, well, you don't have to do tests to get into grad school. But um, yeah, so like a lot of my friends or people in my school, like I saw them studying like crazy hard for like the MCAT. And I think the DAT or the DATS, what it calls for dental school. And I was like, mm, I don't really want to do that. Plus, um, I really was thinking that I wanted to be a professor instead of like a doctor or a dentist. And I was like, you know what? Let me see what research is like. So luckily, um, even though my school didn't have that much research opportunities, I was able to get a fourth year thesis. I worked with fish. <laughs> Fun. Uh, they were rainbow trout and I made I was like making them food by like uh, breeding mayflies I don't know if you've seen a mayfly it basically looks like an ugly dragonfly mixed with a moth thing that like (laughs) (laughs) sounds very yummy yeah so I literally had to like count the little baby eggs in in a petri dish and like put them in a tank it was a lot a lot of them died too so it was very sad but that's okay because the fish didn't die. But yeah, so I've decided I liked research, but I wanted to do something that wasn't like fish. Um, and Western had so many opportunities for like animal research. And I got got in with a, um, one of the PhD students in my lab. I met her. When you get accepted into grad school, you get like a conditional acceptance. And uh... <laughs> sorry, oh my gosh. Okay, on the Zoom call right now, Kevin has two faces and one of them is frozen and the other one is <laughs> where was I talking about the uh, rats right oh yes the PhD student in my lab um I met her 
in like February, 2020, before COVID, I had my hopes high. I was like, wow, Western's gonna be so much fun. Like there's so many events and I can meet so many people. Um, lies, but that's okay. <laughs> because she ended up being the person that I went in, like sh- her lab is the lab that I ended up going into. So she's like the only person I actually had like a meaningful conversation with. And then she's like, oh, let me like send you an, uh, send you an email to my professor or my supervisor. And I had sent an email to his co-supervisor who doesn't respond to emails, but you know, it's, he's like, it's not personal. I'm just like, a, um, I don't reply and I am bad. And I'm like, okay. But his um, co-supervisor emailed me back right away. And he's like, oh, you have an interview. And then I got in. So that's very fun. And that, that's how I got into grad studies. Also, you oh, have to have, oh, sorry. Sorry, no, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, also you have to have decent grades and decent uh, school participation. So did did a little bit of that as well. Yeah. How was the application process? Like, was it long or pretty straightforward? Oh, definitely. Even now, like I'm applying to PhD programs and like, you have to have two academic references, which like when you hear that it's not bad, but like when you don't talk to professors, it's very difficult. And luckily, like I had, I had my supervisor at the time for my fourth year thesis. And I did have like a bunch of professors. I sat like near the front. My school is kind of small. So like the later year courses only have like less than a hundred students. So me and my gang would like sit up near the front and like say goofy stuff all the time. So our, our profs knew us. So like, one of them was like, yeah, like I'll be a reference. I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. So he was my <laughs> paid off. And my supervisor, yeah, he's the real one. But um, yeah, so you had to have those and then you have to like make a giant essay pretty much of like why you want to go to that particular school. I pretty much made like a skeleton of that for like all the schools I applied to. <laughs> but yeah, I like, mean, it's only realistic, right? Like, yeah. And applying now- very- much like the well, that's okay this sounds very much like a like a job application process like I feel like especially with things being online maybe it would help to have um like a better portal for like uh potential grad students to talk to professors because it sounds like it's very hard to get in touch with them yeah it really depends like who's active on their emails because when you get emails like like even me as a TA I'll get so many emails a day and I'm just like do I want to go through all of these right now when the answer is in the syllabus? Like, do I really want to read this? But, yeah. And a lot of things get lost. Like, you'll get an email every day now for like, oh, back to school, Western, do this survey or the thing they have to do to go on campus. Every, and then, yeah. yeah. And if you have like an Amazon account, all those random emails. <laughs> yeah. so, but if there was like a specific portal and like a time or something, like a, like a, like a, even like a meeting like thing mm-hmm. like oh I can office hour for like potential grad students and you only have it open for like a week for like applications I'm like that would that'd be smart because then you can like have everything timed out and nobody can you know have letdowns I don't know that would be a good idea though yeah right I feel like I guess like the overall institutions are still getting kind of used to um like this whole transition thing I know like Zainab and I we talked to a prof a few days ago and like he mentioned that even if he took a minute to answer questions from students, he has just so many que- uh, students that it would take approximately, I think he said 50 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like the scale of these things are sometimes bigger than like I, I imagine. So 
yeah, hopefully they come up with like good solutions because it's definitely necessary. <laughs> you mentioned like you didn't really want to do tests anymore, um, which I was going to ask, like, so how how is like the evaluating process in grad school? Like, how does it shift or change? So I, for, in grad school, you actually only need like a certain amount of credits to graduate, like aside from your research thesis. Um, so you have a seminar usually that you would do, which is basically you'll present your research one day of the whole year. And for the rest of the year, you watch like other people present their research and there's like four presentations a day or a week. And then a lot of times there's a guest speaker and you get marked bases off your, your participation of attending. So you have to attend more than like 75% of the time and then your presentation. And then you can take like, I think it's like one or two courses if they're like half credits or full credits. Like I took a, I took a coding course. I did not even need to take that. I'm very sad that I took that to be honest because it was very <laughs> difficult for me. I hated coding. I took a beginner's coding class in like first year undergrad because it said it was um, suggested, highly suggested. I was like, take that suggestion and throw it out the window because I don't like it. <laughs> but I, I took it because I was like a little keener and I was like, oh, I'm going to take the suggested courses. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I don't even know. Like, it was so hard for me to even like code a triangle out of like asterisks. Like, I don't know why. I just couldn't figure anything out. And then I decided to take it again and torture myself. What? Yeah, my supervisor's not the same course now. Okay. In so it was called like statistics in psychology or something like, or not something like it had to do with stats and psychology, but really it was not statistics. It was like, hmm, this is how you code an equation when you want to do uh, something. <laughs> was, like, was it an R? It was, was an R, yeah. It was like yeah. using statistics and R or something like that. But like, it was actually, I like didn't do that bad. Like I think it got like a B plus, but there was no test. It was like each week there was an assignment you had to do and okay. you just submitted that. And then your grade was based off of that the whole time. And then you made a website at the end, but like it was like using like a Google websites or something. And then okay, you cool. basically like coded the background and all that. But yeah, I'm glad. You know, all of these though are, I feel like are really useful skills to have. Cause like it, they come up a lot after, like especially websites. That's true. Like, yeah, I remember even in high school, like civics and career. Oh no, what was it? It was like business or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah, I did like a website on Google. It wasn't like as much coding type stuff, but I probably could like use website skill, go back to my notes and do that. But <laughs> I probably would just hire someone to do that for me later on. <laughs> because I don't want to. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you, you don't have to be like an expert at everything. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> But I mean, you're like two courses in now. So maybe like internally, your outlook on coding is changing just by that metric. Maybe like the third course is incoming already. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I've been trying to defend coding here. <laughs> I, yeah, I've noticed like um, the, the kind of general outlook towards coding, it very much resembles how I heard like students talking about math. And it's just really interesting uh, to see that. Um, yeah. You know, as they say on Twitter, the girls who get it, get it. And the girls who don't, don't. And I'm, <laughs> the, one, right here. And I'm the one who don't. So <laughs> That's the quote in the description of this video. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> I think over time, like things, um, I feel like over time, things have to get easier for the general public. So 
like even like website creation like there's platforms that just help you like drag and drop so I think over time like having that knowledge like to the low level details might not even be necessary maybe yeah they'll just code an easier one for the, yeah. the new you know what works for me so yeah <laughs> I like dragging stuff and just putting them on exactly yeah. like me on canva like making a poster <laughs> literally yeah. I'm such a digital artist <laughs> so I guess like one thing um, we also want to touch upon, you had mentioned fishes and I think you mentioned like your current uh, research is around rats. Um, I, I dropped out for a little bit there, but uh, if you haven't touched upon it, like could you maybe tell us a bit more about that research? Um, yeah, for sure. So to back it up a little bit, um, we'll start with what I use. So the treatment or the drug that I use in the rats is called propionic acid or PPA. I'll refer to it as PPA now because it's a long word. Um, so essentially PPA is endogenous in all like human bodies or like rats and all that stuff. So it's a gut metabolite that's created from like the fermentation of complex carbs. So it can like the amount in your bodies can increase um, based off of what you eat, but it's like something that's already inside of us. And what's interesting is that studies show that there's a, like very elevated amounts of this in um, people with autism. So people have always, or scientists were like, okay, so does this have to do with like the onset of autism? Like, is this part of the etiology of that disorder? So a lot of research- sorry. Oops, sorry, What does ahead. etiology mean? I, oh, I might just jump in to kind of clarify words here. Okay. That... So it just means, basically means like what uh, the cause kind of like the, the build up cause, like the etiology of cancer is like mutating cells type of thing, right? or like lots and lots of cells. So the etiology of autism might be something genetic or propionic acid. So whatever is like behind the cause or of it. Does that make sense? Frozen again. Um, so there's been a lot of animal studies before even I started with this in the last like 10, 15 years, looking at PPA in rats. And basically it shows very similar symptoms of autism spectrum disorder or ASD. So like you'll inject a rat, they do um, intracerebral ventricular injections. So that's basically like right into their brains. They put like a little cannula implant and then like just goes right into their brains. And then that has shown effects where they're like decreased in social activity. So as you know, people with autism have social issues or communication issues sometimes. So they noticed that rats were way less social, like significantly less social when they had this injection. Um, and then they did injections in different parts of the body. So they did intraperitoneal, which is the gut area. And that area also showed the same effects. So you have less social activity, you have hypo or hyperactivity. So hyperactivity is like, you know, when you get a little crazy and then hypo is when you're very like slowed down. And since autism spectrum disorder is a spectrum, you know, we have the hypo and hyperactivity occurring in different um, people with the disorder. So, um, they seem both in rats as well. So, um, what I'm doing is seeing if it affects, um, habituation to social stimuli. So, um, sensory processing, there's, um, some issues with that in autism spectrum disorder. So habituation is when you kind of have a decreased response to repeated stimuli. So, um, let's say, 
Um, 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 um. Even when you're just like looking around, you focus on the thing that you are focused on. So right now I'm looking at my laptop, I'm not really paying attention to the random mess in the corner. Um, so that I'm habituating to the environment and I'm like not focusing on the things that are keep are like in my peripheral. Mm-hmm. I can't even speak in my like my vision. <laughs> <laughs> peripheral vision but yeah um maybe somebody with autism would just keep kind of like even also with ADHD Going back and forth yeah like it's kind of like oh I'm getting constantly stimulus or people with autism don't really like being in like overstimulating environments right because habituation right. is a little harder for them so like when you're in a mall you hear all these random sounds see all these bright lights and stuff like that so I'm seeing so is habituation it- like the ability to focus on uh one thing rather than like jumping around is that what it means so there is that it's kind of like it kind of adds attention because paying attention is kind of like habituation in a way, but habituation is more um, decreased activity after repeated stimuli. So they kind of play hand in hand, but um, I just gave like a real life example. So the one I'm using for habituation is like, I, I'm looking at their habituation to social stimuli. So I have like a Petri dish full of like a social order. So literally poop scooped from another rat in this Petri dish. So rat communicate. Scientists always have great names. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know me. Oops, yeah. The excrement, if you will, yeah. from other <laughs> in this um, petri dish here. So in in um a lot of animals, like odor and communication is important. So like you know, like pee kind of marks territory or is like dominance. But this was just like a a rat that like a novel rat or con specific that they don't know. So usually it's really interesting stimuli. So the rat, I would expose this rat to the same stimulus for three days in a row. So across each day, you would expect the rat to like go less and less and less towards the smell. So yeah, that's the habituation part, if that makes some sense. Oh, okay. So if it still yeah. see like smells it as a very new smell or it's like still very int- interesting, that would mean like something is wrong because you would expect it to kind of get bored of the smell over time. Yeah, pretty much. And then on the fourth day, I put in like a different rat smell. So then you would expect the rat to go to that smell right away and be way more interested. So ah, I see. Yeah. But um, so far, the results are like, meh, but the results do show that PPA has an effect. So like the rat will self-groom a lot more. So that just shows that they're more anxious. So higher anxiety is also something with ASD. Um, and the rats are also hypoactive. So they're like a lot slower and um, less like active around the like cage thing that I put them in. So it shows that the drug works, but the effect that I want to see is like not really there, but I'm doing another batch in like a week. So <laughs> we'll see. And how much time do you have to spend like kind of collect- collecting that data? Cause you have to like watch them, right? How they react and everything. Yeah. So I videotape every um, interaction. So each tapes like 10 minutes. And then uh, I have like 20, 20 rats. So five days, 20 rats, 10 minute videos. There's like a hundred, right? So it takes a while. But like, luckily the other parameters, I don't have to like 
manually score. So we put them in this like um, this like automated activity box thing. And it has like laser beams to like track all their vertical and horizontal movements. So like wow. that high activity or like how long they stay near the smell versus how far away they are from the smell that I don't have to like manually do. I just literally like can click things and say, okay, take this data, put it on an Excel sheet and then like make sense of it and then graph that. So I try and do all that done first. Yeah. <laughs> and all then the coding that goes into it. Eh? Yeah. That, that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, that is like 30 plus years old too. Like I, we have like an old system. Like I'm using like a fat box computer in that lab. Oh, no. <laughs> like yeah, my professors are like, they're like Professor Emeritus. So they're retired. They've been retired. <laughs> and they <laughs> They've tried to get like new, like a new system of the same thing we have, but then they just get denied because they're like, well, if it ain't broke, you can still oh, use it. Is it a yeah, funding yeah, issue? Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. They literally just, they're just like, no, we're, we're not going to give you a new one because you don't need it. So I'm like, what if I just smash everything with a hammer? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I feel like one part that's not being considered there is like, you could possibly supercharge like the research process and like um, allow like researchers to do so much more by upgrading their equipment. Oh, hundred percent. Like there's like, I used um, for a different project, I was using this thing called the catwalk and essentially it's like a, a glass bottom, like bridge type thing that where you put a rat in or you can even do like a cat. Like it's decently big because cats are like liquid, right? They just fit anywhere, but you basically <laughs> You walk across this platform and there's like a light underneath and the system, also automated system, literally tracks the paw prints across the platform and it can tell you like the speed of how fast they walk, um, if their like paws are crooked. So usually they use that in like spinal cord injury, seeing like how bad like their oh. walk is. And then when you have treatment and you go back like four weeks later, see if it's improved. So I was like, oh, does PPA affect like the balance of somebody's walking? Because like a lot of um, people with ASD have like um, difficulties like in their movement. It's not very like smooth. It's kind of like sometimes crooked. So it just depends where you are on the spectrum. But like I was like, oh, that would be an interesting something to look at. But, yeah, zero results there. It was just like there was no difference, and I was like, ah, I love wasting my time. But that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's so that was really cool. <laughs> The scientific process in general, like, um, seems very, like, a lot more difficult than even, like, previously uh, that I thought, because, like, something I, that kind of made sense to me recently is this idea of, like, cause and effect, like, we've always heard, like, correlation, not causation, like, trying to differentiate those two, but I didn't realize, like, how difficult that is, because even um, in the beginning, how you said they noticed higher PPA levels in uh, people with autism, um, like, for one, like, I, I wonder, like, how did they even, like, just get that information? And then to make that jump and be like, okay, like, let's see how this relates to this other thing. So yeah. it's, it's a lot of, like, poking around, just, like, trying stuff until it kind of makes sense. Definitely. You know, interestingly, they find, like, a lot of the PPA stuff from, like, fecal studies. So it's literally, like, looking at their poo. <laughs> Interesting. So why are they looking at their poo? That's the next question. I guess. Like, when you're looking for, like, something else, maybe. Because a lot of people with um, right. ASD actually have, like, um, digestive issues or, like, some problem mm. with the gut. 
So that might play into it as well. Like they'll like eating restrictions and stuff. So there's definitely a big correlation between like gut issues and ASD. So I'm like, oh, geez. So that might've been something or even like just like drawing their blood, like their blood, their blood serum levels of um, PPA also might be higher as well. So it, I guess it's just like, oh, they found something and then someone else found something. And then like everybody started signing the same thing. Like, wait, <laughs> Then everyone just like races to like find something a bit that like, you know, kind of yeah. states a cause. Um, but I feel like a lot of times it's just like ends up being kind of no result or like results kind of just redundant or something. Like yeah. That. Or like somebody will have a completely re- different result than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what's, what's great about research is a lot of people have already done something similar. So you just base your project off of what already worked for someone else, but like give it a little twist. Like that's a like a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody starts from scratch unless it's like something like so novel, but like every supervisor will always be like, okay, base your thing off of this thing because this worked. So let's see what happens for you. Like something mm-hmm. like that, just to avoid the problems. <laughs> And also to avoid, like, because if there's already research about it, that means, like, they accounted for, like, confounding things. So you don't have to do that yourself. You can just focus on whatever you're changing. Exactly. So much less work. (laughs) Exactly. I know this is, like, a concept in history as well, like, among historians. It's kind of like working off the work of the titans, kind of like the people before you. And you kind of build upon that knowledge. So I guess like that incremental change allows us to be a bit more like uh, critical of like the ideas we're presenting and like um, we're not just making random big leaps around exactly. saying like this is true, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not going to build a house from eyeballing it. You're going to use the blueprints, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's definitely very cool. Um, I mean, so like how much time is left uh, between like your the beginning of your studies and like now are you just about uh done now um no I'd say like I'm just over halfway because I started September 2020 I'll be done September 2022 so it's like a full two-year thing yeah with grad studies like you don't have like summers off it's more just go 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 until the finish line (laughs) and do you think I'm sorry what (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. I don't know who's going. (laughs) You go, you go. (laughs) I don't remember what I was going to say. I'm sorry. (laughs) I also forgot. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll pick back up here. Um, I was going to ask, like, uh, do you think you're going to be, like, dipping your foot into more research? Like, are there any other kind of topics or studies that you have thought, like, would be interesting to explore? (sighs) Yeah, but they're mostly still still similar to what I'm doing because with a master's, like at the end, you have to write your master's thesis and it kind of all has to tie together. So I would definitely still work with PPA um, and habituation, but maybe just like change the paradigm or like the way I do my experiment. So I already like have an idea. So instead of doing it across like five days, I was like, hey, why don't I just do this all in one day and expose every rat to every odor type? So that like, cause usually you have like your control group, right. And then your treatment group, but I'm like, what if they're all in the same group? Like, except, um, actually, no, sorry. 
backtrack a little bit. You have control on your treatment group, but then you also have your like partial control, partial treatment group. So I'll expose them to like a social odor or non-social odor because I'm looking at habituation for like social things specifically. But then if they don't habituate to the non-social thing, it's like, okay, maybe this has a general effect on habituation in general. So um, with that, I was like, okay, how about I just have like my PPA and my control group and then expose them both to the social versus non-social odor, but in one day. So one experiment that I'm basically copying this from, they have like the odors on a Q-tip and the cage is like covered. And basically you put the Q-tip in for like two minutes with one odor, take it out for one minute, put in the next odor and then repeat it. And then basically they'll show habituation there as well. So like, oh, I'm not interested. You just show me this 10 seconds ago versus, oh, this is new. Let me sniff, sniff type of thing. So I feel like that would also give me potentially better results. And it would be so much faster because doing things across like so many days is torture. That That's okay. <laughs> you know, you said like something interesting in that like you want to stay in the kind of same area of research do you think like that's with a lot of like other people that do research because I feel like they just stick to like one small area and kind of like keep not repeating but just like doing little modifications to their previous research yeah it's definitely it's definitely much easier staying with what you know because then you're already an expert in that field and doing like slight modifications each time that will give you like a really good opportunity to like write a paper and then get accepted for that paper and have a published paper because um, a lot of journals that publish these papers um, like seeing the results for like multiple different things. They'll always be like, oh, you did this, but what about this? And if someone only did like one study on it, they'll be like, oh, well, I'll do another study and then we'll think about it type of thing. So yeah. plus, yeah, I think a lot of people do tend to stick with something that they get like results from at least. If they don't get results from it, they tend to like change things and move on until they do. And then once you have like a good result, it might open up more questions and then you have a lot more opportunities for research. So like research with like um, like sex differences or like hormones, that type of stuff is like never ending because it's like, okay, well you have this, but what about this hormone? And what about this receptor? And what about uh, inhibitors? So there's like yeah. endless, <laughs> endless opportunities. For me though, actually my PhD, I would a little, I'm gonna change it up a little bit, but that's just because like, I'm like gonna go to a different school. So I'm like, you know, I might as well just change it all. I'm actually interested in studying like addiction and memory. So that'll be interesting. Also rats, gonna keep it, keep it. Of course the rats. No more fish? <laughs> no, no. Fish are all in the past? Fish are in the past. Fish are a little too scary for me. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that was very, um, a lot of like interesting insights. Uh, I don't think like, one thing that definitely stood out to me is I don't really appreciate the level of commitment that goes into those who pursue research. Because like, at least in my field, like there's a lot of, I tend to get bored. I want to jump around, use different technologies, like um, in like the development world. So yeah, definitely, I think I have a greater in, um, appreciation for those who have to like kind of very like focus, stay focused on the research topics and kind of like, again, as we said, the incremental changes. So yeah, thanks for all this like great insights uh, into the world of a graduate student. Of course. Is there anything you'd like to add onto it or? Mm. Probably not, probably not. Yeah. But 
you know what? Maybe a little bit. Okay. If you're super into coding and have a little baby interest in research, there's so much opportunity in neuroscience because they love people who code or like anybody who's like so good at technology because you can make new technology for us. <laughs> so even at Western, like there's labs who do like simulation, like computer simulation stuff. Um, so if you're interested in grad studies at Western, there's definitely opportunity there and they'll pay you to go to school. So think about that. That's always uh, an interesting point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That was another okay. big thing about, sorry, that was another big thing. I'll just do the last very big baby, baby snippet. But yeah, another big thing about going to grad school for research. So you don't have to pay tuition. But if you want to do medical school, you're going to be you're going to be poor at the end. So All right. Thank you so much for your time. We loved having you here. Of course. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you, Kashmira. Take care. <laughs> Bye, guys.